All right, so as mentioned just before the break, yet again, it's that time of the month where it's the last Monday of the month, and um, it's, it's been a tradition on our, on our show at Radio Pulpit, and I pray to God that this tradition will, will continue for years to come, but it is Kingdom yes. Legislation with Reverend Paul Coupe. Rev, how are you? Yes, hello, hello, everybody. Uh, let me send out our radio listeners, our whole nation, a big old hello from Khaborone, Botswana. And I do want to emphasize that, that listen, it's Khaborone, it's not Gaborones, it's not Gaborone, it's Khaborone. Well, you had so, me there, I would have said Gaborone. No, no, it's not Gaborone. So if we can all say Gauteng in, in South Africa, I'm sure we can say Khaborone. So it's one of those colonization sort of um, after aftertaste. So, you know, after you've been colonized, then people take your name and they <laughs> mispronounce it or they misspell it. Like, you know, the case with what they called Peking was never Peking. It was Beijing. So they had to change their name back to Beijing after the colonizers left. And it's the same thing with Khaborone. It was always Khaborone. But when the British came in, they changed it to Gaborones. And so everybody's been saying Gaborones, but Gaborones has no meaning. So I want to encourage everybody, please, it's Khaborone. Khaborone. So I'm in Khaborone, and I'm sending you lots of love and um, greetings from Gabs, for short. You can say Gabs, for short, but you must say Khaborone for full. <laughs> All right, so you are in Khaborone, and let me then also just... <laughs> Let me just acknowledge my heritage. I'm not in Centurion. I am in Verwurtburgstad. Huh? That was wow. the that was the initial name of Centurion, Verwurtburgstad. Did you know oh my that? Goodness. No, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. No idea. Verwur- but luckily, Pretoria has always been Pretoria, so that is that is pretty fine. So while we're mixing the languages, let me ask you something in Afrikaans, and then I'll translate to English. What skatni lieve van Paul Kupai? Did you get that? I heard the vat, and then I got lost after vat. <laughs> What's happening in the life of Reverend Paul Kupai? How's, how's it going with you? <laughs> no, things are good. Um, I'm here for a conference and then some meetings with some, some leaders and, in various sectors and stuff. And we're also establishing a network here. So, yeah, it's great. It's, it's good to be back in Khabarone. Um, I was here, I think, about two months ago. So, yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, just came back from Kenya. From Kenya. And we'll be going to Ghana after this. Yeah. So I'll also be <laughs> joining you shortly in Khabarone. I'm going to phone all of my friends that's joining me, and I'm going to tell them our cha- our plans <laughs> have changed. We're no longer going to a Gaborone in Botswana, but we're going to a new place <laughs> called Khabarone. It doesn't exist. Oh. You can't go to Gaborone because it doesn't exist. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, things change so often. And one of the reasons why we spend a lot of time on air is because of the things that our government and our politicians are trying to change. And a lot of it they try yeah. to do under the radar. But, but guess what, world? You've got Reverend Paul Goupay and Dwayne van Rensburg who will not shy away from the gospel. And we will not be ashamed <laughs> of the gospel. And... Rev, there's a lot of things that's been going on. It feels to me like um, the world is just yeah. being distracted. And uh, Rev, just before I give over to you and before we just randomly chat, on Sunday yeah. I, I had the privilege of, of leading the sermon at church. And while, mm. I was, while I was in the middle of my sermon, the Holy Spirit came and reminded me uh, – uh, of of well not reminded me um, gave me some insight on what is the agenda of the enemy, and if you go have yeah. a look at what's going on specifically in this month, um, they are trying to break God's plan for a household, because because when yeah. when when, when yeah. a child has a relationship with a father and a wife has a relationship with a husband, then effectively it's easier to have a relationship with God because our relationship in our marriage mirrors our relationship in, in, in God. So the agenda of the enemy is absolutely to destroy um, the world's view on marriage and on family. And that is something that's yeah. close to your heart as well with what's going on right now in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dwayne, I mean, we, we've always said that, I think, even from the beginning of this program, we've talked about how God created family before he even created the church. So when you look at the church, the church is actually made up of a number of families. Mm. And the, the enemy knows that the family is the pillar of society. If you have a healthy, functional family, guess what? 
You're going to have a healthy, functional society, communities, and nation. So if you can break that basic building block, which is the family, then um, it means that you're going to really destroy the foundation of a nation because nations are made up of many, many families. So dysfunctional family equates to a dysfunctional nation eventually. And this attack on family has been ongoing. It's just that now I think because there are more people active, we've got more um, organizations that are working with us. For instance, since I've been, I've been doing this for 20 years now, but since I've been doing it, we've seen 4SA come on board. We've seen when that's with Michael Swain and Daniela. We've seen um, Calls for Justice come on board, and that's with Ryan Smith. And we've seen a number of organizations, especially Christian organizations, rising up in this season to question, you know, and to confront the attack on the family. And, and, and so it's becoming, people are becoming much more aware of it. But like I said, this attack on the family has been ongoing for at least two decades. I've been involved in it for two decades, but it's been ongoing for much longer. Now, the difference, Dwayne, is that it's no longer secret. It's no longer hidden. The agenda is out in the open and they are very aggressive. And it's also global. So it's not contained to the West anymore. At one stage, it was just a few of the Western nations that we saw doing it. But now there's a, especially a focus on Africa because Africa is seen as the naughty child. When it comes to uh, being woke, the woke agenda, when it comes to uh, being liberal and allowing for sexual um differences and sexual perversions and allowing for immorality, Africa has been that child that has consistently and persistently said no for many, many years. So the enemy is really now trying to bear down on Africa using mammon, using money as a carrot stick. So for instance, the comprehensive sexuality education bill that we've been talking about, they used money. They gave money to the Department of Education. And this is not conjecture on our part. It is not supposition. It's not something that we are assuming or presuming or thinking. We It was said in Parliament. Uh, a question was asked in Parliament as to whether the Department of Education received any funding for comprehensive sexuality education. And it was answered with uh, a yes. And the funding that was received in U.S. dollars amounted to almost half a billion, half a billion um I think it was 500 million rands, close to that. 500 million rands. It was, I think it was around $25 million. So we know that this has been the agenda for a long, long time, um, Dwayne. I think we have a choice now in terms of how we respond to, to it. And one of the things that encourages me in this season that we're in, Dwayne, is that I see that Christians are becoming more and more sensitive to knowing what's going on. So we're not behaving like ostriches with our head in the sand anymore. We actually have people, I mean, 10, 12 years ago, I used to really get condemned for doing what I'm doing now. People used to say to me, why aren't you like other pastors? Why aren't you preaching in church on Sunday, Pearl? Why are you always petitioning? Why are you always doing? Why are you always leading marches? And they thought I was a crazy somebody. But now, you know, we can see that Christians are now becoming aware that, look, um, these laws that are being passed are not being passed in our favor. They are restricting our right of religious freedom as enshrined and contained in Section 15 of our Constitution, that freedom and right of, of belief, opinion and re religion. So people are now waking up to that fact and are trying to, you know, stand their ground. So on that aspect, Dwayne, I want to say a uh, big up to South Africa for being more aware, um, for, you know, looking out for the bills, for being more participatory, participating in the bills. And that's why I'm grateful, so grateful for this platform, filling the gap, which we do kingdom legislation on a monthly basis. I'm very grateful for it. I, I do believe that God has helped to use this platform 
to educate, sensitize his people and um, really let them understand the times. According to First Chronicles 12, 32, the Bible says, understand the time and the seasons like the sons of Issachar. They knew the times they were in. They knew the season they were in. And the Bible says they knew what they ought to do. So I want to encourage every believer out there. Know the times. It is a time where um, a different worldview, a promiscuous worldview, a liberal worldview is being pushed. An agenda to sexualize our children um, openly, you know, bringing in training and teaching where they would be provoked, taught to masturbate, to to have multiple partners and, and you know, all the all of those kind of things, which our faith does not endorse. Our faith does not endorse. So I'm saying big up. It's good. Keep on reading. Keep on um you know, being alert and vigilant as to what's happening. Keep on participating in the legislative feedback. As I've said before, petitions are okay, but they don't have the same impact as submissions. So when a bill is placed out there in public, it's very important for you to respond and to respond as an individual, as an individual, because each each submission is counted one by one. So if you respond as an organization, it's, it's not going to count in the same way as um, it would count individually. So like I said, uh, submissions are have more impact. They carry more impact and influence than petitions. We don't have the same system as the United States, whereby a certain min- minimum number of petitions can allow you now to take it to Senate and propose a bill through that. We don't have that system, really. It's not the same. So we have to be careful around how we we make our submissions and how we respond. So, yeah. So ironically enough, you just you just um, in 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 your in your words now, you you made mention of the West and how the West used to do stuff compared to us. I had the privilege last week of um, having an interview with Michael W. Smith. And yeah. um, one, one of the highlights of my radio career, I, I just got to mention that, but Michael made mention more than once on um, how the world looks at America as this amazing country and how, yeah. how he actually, someone actually asked him, Michael, would you, would, you edit, would you ever consider moving out of the States? And Michael made a very, yeah. very, very, it was actually very profound. He made a he made yeah. a point. He said, "If it wasn't for the fact that God placed me in America to make a difference, and if it wasn't for the fact that my family all is there, I would in a heartbeat run a, run away from America, and I would come stay yeah. in South Africa." And then, when the question was posed, Michael, what is next for Michael W. Smith? What's happening next for him? He answered something quite amazing. He said, "I got to urgently go back to my country, and I need to go farther, pastors yeah. in America." I need to urgently yeah. go help people open up their eyes to what is true to the word of God. And he called out pastors in America yeah. being woke and representing a dark agenda with a twisted, conskewed Bible scripture verse. Um, and he said he's got to go back and he's got to go fix pastors in America because pastors are influencing the church. We are misled. Mm. And that's one of the topics also that you want to discuss this evening. You want to discuss how yeah. we've been misled yet again with believing yeah. that someone pulled back something that was not the case. Please yeah. go for it. Yeah, I mean, look, a big up to Michael W. Smith. I'm, I'm glad that, you know, he's taken a stance where he's saying he will not be compromised and he will stand for the truth and he will stand for righteousness and justice as we are called to do in the Bible. So a big up to him. Um, I'm not sure, though, in his saying he'd rather be in South Africa. I'm not sure how different we are to America these days, um, to be honest with you, Dwayne. I think almost every immorality that America has adopted, we we have or are in the process of adopting. So I'm not sure it would benefit Michael to come here because we're just becoming a mini America right now. yeah, but um, this is the other thing I wanted to say. So I've said congratulations and well done to our body of believers, to South Africans in general, for being more responsive, for being more sensitive, being alert and vigilant in these times. I also, though, want to caution. 
Dwayne. Mm. And I want to caution on fake news. Yeah. One of the advantages about having technology is you have a whole, um, you know, a whole channel, a, a whole thing of information that you can get. So we're in that dispensation and age of of information. There's plenty of information. There's a downside to that. And yes, even though we have a lot of information, we also need to be very vigilant and aware that a lot of the information is not necessarily true. Mm. There's also a lot of fake information. So that means that we can't take everything as gospel truth. It's going to require you to do your own research and to find out and to fact check. And, and you know, Dwayne, even fact checking is difficult because we know for a fact, as you know, like during the, the COVID times, that there were fact checkers that were not genuine fact checkers. They were they were paid fact checkers to say things were not true when they were true. So depending on who's paying the fact checker. You know, that they will they will tell the narrative that they're they're whoever's paying them wants them to tell. So it's difficult even to fact check. But I still want to caution to say be careful because I saw um a communication going out on WhatsApp. It was going viral. Mm. And in that communication, whoever started that communication was trying to talk about the great progress that we've made as Christians. And yes, we've made some progress, but let me highlight on one piece of false information which I picked up. One of the information that was highlighted in that was to say great strides concerning Woolworths because there was a campaign by certain groups within the Christian community um, to challenge Woolworths on the stance it took in supporting Pride Month. But not only did they support Pride Month, they actually... Uh, had a campaign within Pride Month where they had clothings and merchandise reflecting uh, the LGBTQ community. And of course, from that came a backlash. Uh, lots of letters were written from the co Christian community. Some wrote as individuals, some wrote as, as organizations, but there was a great backlash. Now, in this communication, Duane, I read, whoever wrote the communication said that progress had been made because Woolies backed down and were changing things, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so I wanted to say that the research, in terms of the research I made, Woolies actually did not back down. Um, they actually, if anything, reinforced their perspective. I, I looked for all the documents. There was a fake letter that was going out. But I looked and I researched and I, I looked to see whether they backed down and I did not get any information about their backing down. In fact, all the information I got showed that Woolies actually took a reinforced stance. They said that they were not going to back down or step down from their position in supporting Pride Month. And in fact, this is the, the tweet they sent out. I'm going to read the tweet. They said... Every person has the right to dignity regardless of their identity. And then they said, this is a fact enshrined in our constitution. It is not up for debate. So I'm just saying um, that message, and there was some other message. I'm not going to go through it one by one, but there were other messages which were not statistically correct in that. And yet I've, I saw it in so many WhatsApp groups. So I do want to caution us as a body of Christ. Let's be very vigilant before we send out information that is containing false information. What is the danger of that? Why am I saying this, Dwayne? I'm saying this because if you read that whole communication and it, it seems to be telling of the great victories, etc. And yes, we do want to be encouraged. We do want testimonies. You know, the Bible says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. But we must also be careful that the testimonies are true and are not containing falsehoods. Because the danger of sending out information to say we have a victory in this area is that it's going to cause people to relax. Mm. So people, when you tell people we won this battle or we're winning this battle and we're actually not, then the submissions we may need 
or the action that we may need from people. People may just put their tools down and their pens down because they believe and they think that, no, we won. We, we, we got them to back down and yet we haven't won. So I want to urge our, our community and our people, let's be very careful of the information we sent out. Let's not send out information for any other reason, but to send out truthful information, not to send out information with an agenda to be relevant or with an agenda to try and seek attention so that, you know, we, be, we go viral. That should never be the purpose and intention of sending out information. It should be to educate people on a truthful matter, on a fact, and educate them on what steps next to take, not to spread false information, which is misleading and which may cause more damage than it does anything else. So I do want to encourage us, let's spread true information. Fact check to to the degree that you can fact check, but let's not be, if you're not sure, it may be better not to send the communication than to send a misleading communication, which can actually do more harm than than, um, bring any positivity. So that's that. Now, the next thing I wanted us to talk about quickly, Dwayne, before we get into the Bella Bill, and I'm sure mm. you're going to have plenty to say about the Bella Bill, because <laughs> that's really that, yeah, because, you know, as an educator, having a school and all that, I'm expecting that you will get more involved. But the, the last thing I want to just mention for us to discuss, and I'd love to also hear your thoughts around this, is that especially during the Woolies um, issue and the campaign, what I picked up, um, Dwayne, I began to pick up that there were different perspectives and views mm. into how the Woolies issue should be handled. So initially, I saw a lot of Christians, body of Christ, you know, some were writing letters, um, sending out letters to the Woolies management, blah, blah, blah. We don't like this. Stop it. I'm not going to shop at your place anymore. You know, all of that. Then... In the last two weeks, I saw a change. I saw a new group now starting to grow. And this is still a group amongst Christians. And they were actually sort of um, criticizing those who had written letters and who were confronting Woolies and having a campaign against them. They were criticizing them and they were saying that they're not showing love. And their perspective was to say that as Christians, the proper approach would have been rather to demonstrate love mm. and, and not respond in this manner. So I thought that was very interesting to me, Dwayne. And I thought, wow, I think perhaps this might be a topic that we may need to have a conversation but, and a debate on. But you really want to hear my opinion about that. I, I do. I do want to hear your opinion. Um, but the thing, before you give me your opinion, I want to say this. The, both views, both views are actually reflecting the Bible. But I want I want to, you know, like we need to have this conversation. But anyway, let me hand over to you and then I'll tell you what, what, no, I, what I, I think. I don't really want to give my opinion. I want to give a, I want to ask a rhetorical question because, yeah. because, because, uh, yes, I do understand all these scriptures that Jesus is love and turn your cheek, yeah. and I understand all of that. But I, I need, yeah. I need, I need an explanation then on what would have been God's victory in the Bible if David walked over to go give Goliath a hug. Yeah. What 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 would be the victory if if Samson went over and gave everyone a hug? Yet David fought. David yeah. fought for his brothers and sisters in Christ, which he loves. Sorry, I'm just I'm yeah. just saying, but why should love only be expressed towards my enemy and not towards the people that I'm trying to protect? So yeah. as, as as much as I understand love, 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 with all due respect, um yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up my rock and I'm gonna slaughter a giant if that giant comes against my God. Yeah, that's just my yeah. two cents. If, if well, you asked me for my well, opinion. Yeah, listen, I I kind of have the same view. And what I was saying is that we we have to be careful. This is my own view. 
we have to be careful about being extreme in any which way. Because like mm. I was saying, both views actually represent the aspect of love we know is a foundational and very important part of our faith from John 3.16. Yes. But the aspect of war, God talks about war and he talks about his army. And one of God's names is Lord of hosts. Yes. You know, so we, we know that he's a God of love, but he's also Jehovah El Mishpat representing war, you know, je representing justice. He's also Jehovah El Gibor representing war. Yeah. And, and all of those things. And as I said to one person in the group, I said, we must remember that Jesus, Yeshua himself, he was the lamb that was slaughtered, but he was also a, a, a lion. Mm? Mm, 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 so he's lamb. And when you think of lamb, you think of that meek, you know, sweet, adorable thing. But then he's this also the lion of Judah roaring, you know, <laughs> you understand. Absolutely. So it, it's not just one side of Jesus. And one of the things that's important is us understanding the times. Like I said, in first Chronicles 12, 32, because God manifests himself differently also in different seasons. And in the season where the church is being attacked, where um, the family is being attacked, where children are being raped and molested and, and all sorts of things happening as a result of wrong agendas and wrong teachings, um, it's war. It's a declaration of war. Um, and, 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 and so we need to find that balance of how do we not compromise? How do we ensure that we stand for righteousness and justice like God said to do? He said we must stand for righteousness and justice. How do we contend for the faith? In the book of Jude 1, 3, it says contend for the faith. It, it was not a recommendation or a suggestion. It was an instruction to say contend for the faith. What did it mean? It meant that there would be people who would come and try to undermine the gospel and try to mislead people around the gospel and try to replace our world faith and perspective. And the, 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 the requirement of us is to contend for the faith. So all I'm saying is that, yes, there's a requirement for us to step up and contend for the faith. Um, in that, we shouldn't lose our love. We don't hate anybody. We speak the truth in love. Um, we understand that we're dealing with spirits and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God. And so really much of the battle must be against principalities and spirits. And must we must respond in a way where we teach, train, equip our children and do not train them to hate people or to kill anybody or anything, but we equip our people, we activate our people, we teach them, we train them. That should be our response. So I thought that was a very interesting um, thing that was coming out because my worry, Dwayne, was that we may end up with two factions in the body of Christ, where you have one faction that's mm. saying, fight, fight, war, take them out. You know, and then there's another faction that's saying, love, love. No, we are the love. We want to love. And I believe that we have to strike a balance. We have to strike a balance. Um, we're expected to represent truth and not to compromise, to stand for righteousness and justice, but not to lose the aspect of loving our neighbor. So we do it with love, not with self-righteousness, not in judgment, but from a place of love wanting to make sure that nobody perishes, but all of us will have everlasting life. So I think that's a challenge that to every one of us out there that let's think on this and let's make sure that in the course of fighting and our activism, that we don't lose our humanity, we don't lose our sense of love, and that we don't become self-righteous in the process. I think that's a prayer that we really, really need to pray that, Lord, um, keep our hearts soft, pliable, um, loving hearts for humanity and that we shouldn't rise up in criticism, condemnation, judgmentalism, but in standing for truth, righteousness, and no compromise that we should still be able to love people and just, you know, as they say, hate the sin, hate the principalities and the demons that are provoking it, but continue to love God's people. Rev, one of the one of the most beautifulest examples that I've heard, and actually I've heard this from my wife, was she says that when when myself and my wife walk in the mall, 
and we are yeah. hand in hand with each other and we look at the people around us, we look at them through the eyes of Jesus and those eyes involve looking at them in love. We don't walk right. around in the mall with the agenda to hurt someone, but I do walk right. in the mall holding onto my hand of someone holding yeah. onto the hand of someone that I love. But now something yeah. happens, and it's an example. Now, the people that I look at in the mall walks over to my wife, and one of them start attacking my wife. What, what do I now do? Do I now stand back and look at this person in love? Or do I, because mm -hmm. of my love towards my wife, do I step in and I make sure yeah. he or she does not hurt my wife any further? Now, yeah. for, for me, this is a very tough scenario because uh, 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 a skeptic person can look at this from a distance and say, yo, that guy's got no love. Look at how he's beating that person. But realistically yeah. speaking, me loving my wife is the exact reason why I'm beating that person because he hurt my wife. Do, do yeah. I now operate outside of love because I protect whom I love, and that is how I view our fight towards polit politicians and towards legislation and government. Yeah. We love them, yeah. but don't touch my yeah. loved ones. Yeah, not only that, Duane, it's not, there's, so there's the perspective of love, showing love to your wife because you're defending her. Mm. But there's the other aspect of love, which we don't talk about, that God says in the Bible, he says, those whom he loves, he chastises and he rebukes. So there's, it's funny how we don't receive correction and rebuke as part of love. Yeah, go, 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 read love. Proverbs, go read Proverbs. The book of love speaks more about discipline and bringing someone exactly. back in line. It's part of love. That's what I'm saying right here, that the fact that we rebuke or chastise um, somebody who may not be aligned to God's principles is not a, a sign of lack of love. It does not indicate. In fact, to me, if you allow somebody who you know, according to our faith, is is missed the mark and is walking in sin and may end up in eternal, you know, damnation. If you allow them to continue in that sin, to me, that's a lack of love rather than going to them and rebuking them. I see just ignoring them to to walk in a, a way that's harmful to them. I think that's a lack of love. But I think when we go to them, not, you know, telling them you're going to hell, blah, 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 but just drawing them to God's love. For me, that is more a demonstration of love than it is to leave people just to walk any anyhow that they want to and um, live a very consequently live a very painful or damaging life. Right, so Rev, we've got about 20 minutes left and we've got to jump into that billable. Would you like to lead the conversation, please? Yeah. yeah, sure. I'll just start with a little bit of a foundation just to remind us about um, what this Bella Bill is about and, and then talk a little bit about what are the highlights of the Bella Bill, what is it trying to do. Um, the Bella Bill, of course, has been <laughs> a very controversial bill for many, many reasons. Mm. Um, and then, you know, we've been dealing with the Department of Education for years now. One of the main reasons why we were challenging, confronting um, and, and really pushing back with the Department of Education was because of the comprehensive sexuality education program that they've been putting in the schools over the past few years. But just a little brief um, introduction is that the Bella Bill it was first, I believe, drafted in 2017. And, but the current vision, which is being looked at now and studied and introduced, and in fact, there are hearings, ongoing hearings on the bill, that one was introduced to Parliament last year. And what the, the, they're trying to do with this Bella Bill is to amend the South African Schools Act of 1997. So they're looking at the SAS Act, South African Schools Act, and together looking also at the Employment of Educators Act of 1998. So there's kind of two acts that they're looking at, and there's a kind of merging that's happening. So what um, are the high-level implications that we're going to see? Um, well, first of all, I think once, if the Bella Bill gets passed, 
then what's going to happen is that it's going to allow the provincial heads of education. Right now, Duane, and you would know this, the SGBs, otherwise known as the school governing bodies or boards, the SGBs have a certain amount of autonomy where they can make certain decisions. And if this Bella Bill is passed, a lot of their decision-making powers are going to be eroded and they're going to rather be given to the provincial heads of education departments. So they can make decisions, for instance, on the language of the school, the language that will be used of the school, admissions policy. If there's an admissions policy, it will be the provincial heads that instead of the SGBs that can actually make that decision. So ultimately, this means that the role of SGBs or school governing bodies will be a lot smaller, a lot smaller, because members of the executive council can now determine a school's language policy. Now, Duane, how is this important to us? Now, remember that all along, we have been encouraging parents to do what? To join the SGBs. Mm. Because we said, look, CSE, we didn't do enough. We didn't do what we needed to do to stop it. Mm. And unfortunately, it's been rolled out along with unisex toilets and all the other blah, blah, blah. And so what we've been telling parents is that get on the SGBs, the student governing bodies. And when you get on the SGBs, then it will give you a license to be able to make decisions. Mm. But if this Bella bill is passed now in its current form and state, Dwayne, what it actually means is that even if our people get on SGBs, it means it's actually going to be useless because now the power, the powers that the SGBs had will be taken away and they will be invested in the provincial heads of departments. So a lot of people who sit on the SGBs are parents. So what does this mean in practical terms? In practical terms, obviously the department is looking to now control everything. So where the parents may have had a license to sit on the SGBs and to make input, they're not going to have that ability anymore. They're not because the provincial heads can override them. They can decide the language of the school. They can decide certain policies, blah, blah, blah. And one of the things I remember, and I'm going to talk about this when it comes to alcohol. Again, I had a Zoom meeting with the departmental heads of education and we were discussing the issue of sale of alcohol. And again, I advised Christians to say that, listen, sit on the SGBs and then you can make a decision not to sell alcohol on campus. Guess what? The provincial heads now are going to be doing that. And they will want to sell alcohol on school because for them, it's all about money. They don't care about our children's future. They don't care about our children's values. They don't care about the fact that our children are getting drunk at school. Mm? Do you remember that incident, um, in the Duane, Shabi- in the where we, in the taverns yeah. where hundred about how many children died? So forty-one, I say think. Was, yeah. So although it wasn't at a school. But what that's telling us, Dwayne, is that 13-year-olds, 12 and 13-year-olds are drinking, are Mm. drinking. So if children are already drinking at that age and you now bring it to them at their schools, it's a huge temptation. And I had a huge, you know, uh, argument with the Department of Education people. I said, listen, our children, we've seen videos of children smoking marijuana, high on pot, drinking. And I said, now you're just going to be encouraging them. And their response to me was, no, we want to lease out school halls and they're leased out to people for weddings and different functions. And we can't make money with the halls because they're not allowed to sell alcohol. So in the course of making money, um, they want to be allowed to sell alcohol. So it just baffled me that our children's destiny and future mm. could be compromised just for a few rands because people want to make a few more hundred rands that the lives and futures of our children will be compromised for the sake of a few cents. So that's one 
of the implications is that now the provincial heads of education departments will have greater power and it's going to erode the power of the SGB. So in a sense, in essence, I think SGBs are just going to end up being a decoration. They're just going to be there. And p- perhaps they may even, even be fizzled out at one point because I don't know what they're, what they're going to be there to do. If, if provincial heads are, seem like they're going to be assuming a lot of their responsibilities. So that's the one. The other thing that the Bella bill is, is supposed to do, purports to do, is to make grade R a new compulsory school age because we know right now it's grade one, right? Mm. So grade one is compulsory. You have to go to school by grade one. So now they're saying, no, not grade one anymore, but grade R. And then the other thing, again, that's going to hit us hard, and this takes us back, Dwayne, to our COVID vaccine days. So there was that issue where children were being forcefully vaccinated at schools. And one of the things we said to the the parents, what did we say to them, um, Dwayne? One of the resolutions I remain, remember, remember talking about was to say that parents should just homeschool their children. Mm-hmm. Register and, and, and homeschool and homeschool. So guess what? This Bella bill is now going to compel and tighten the registration of homeschooled learners, of homeschooled learners. I've talked to people who have been homeschooling um, their children for a long, long time. And they have said with the incoming provisions, it's going to be almost impossible to register school. So clearly the agenda is to dissuade and to to hinder as many people as possible from actually registering the homeschools, which means especially Christian children, because I remember asking the DG, Director General of Education, in February 2021, asking him, if we don't want our children to be subjected to CSE, what do we do? He said, you just have to pull them out of school. There's no other option. So now we had thought that homeschool would be the other option if we didn't want our children to be sexualized at an early age in the other schools. But now with the very difficult registration of homeschools, it looks like they're trying to shut that door as well, trying to shut that door. And in shutting the door, this is how serious, this is how serious it's going to be. So look at this. Look at this, um, Dwayne. To make sure that you don't homeschool or you don't take your children out of school, the Bella Bill also proposes to criminalize parents who do not make sure that their children are in school. So they will be, it, it will become a criminal offense whereby they will either be hit with a fine or hit with um, 12 months, up to 12 months imprisonment. 12 months imprisonment. So we can see where this is going. Remember the hate speech bill that we just talked about? Mm. Uh, Whereby if you preach a certain section of the Bible talking about certain sexual sexual acts being sin, uh, that would be defined as hate speech. And in terms of that bill, you could go to prison for eight years, eight years. So you can see there's a trend here whereby there's a criminalization of certain behavior and it happens to be behaviors that we identify with with our faith. And if it's criminalized, then you get to have a free holiday in jail. <laughs> free holiday. <laughs> what can I say? I mean, yeah. Rev, so that's another thing. Yeah. Sorry, something and that stands out for me is I'm so yeah, sorry. Um, what stands out for me is on social media what's been going on. All these videos that have now been shared by um, the general community um, um, doing speeches on the Bellable. And what's even more amazing on social media is the amount of children that is addressing yeah. the Bellable right now. My question is, um, as, a, as a, um, a skeptic listener, is do any of these speeches and all of these things running on social media, does it really have an influence on whether they're going to push it through or not? Listen, that was going to be my last point here. 
Yeah. Because I was going to talk about the public hearings that have been going on. I think yesterday the hearings were in Gauteng province. They've been in different provinces. But that was going to be my last question that I was going to leave this session with to say, but with all these hearings and all this input, is it going to make any difference? Are they going to listen to all the submissions that were made Um saying we don't want this bill, especially in this format. Are they going to listen? Because previously, Duane, we know that we've submitted over 100,000 submissions in respect of the, the, the Papuda bill and the hate speech bill, many, many thousands of submissions, and nothing was done in that instance. In fact, with the hate speech bill, instead of um, they're taking into account our submissions, they came back with a worse bill. The hate speech bill came back worse, Duane. Previously, somebody could be found guilty um, of, of a hate speech and sentenced to five years. When it came back this time, they ignored all the submissions, brought it back, and they had actually tightened the, the punitive aspect so that now you could go to prison for eight years. So that was like a, saying a big, you know, we didn't hear you. Yeah. You know, it's Amaya, go away. Mm, and, you know... Yeah, not only did they not take our submissions on board, but they were just like it was a big whatever. Whatever to you. They just they were telling us that they don't care. So they're going to hear criminalize parents who don't send their children to school. You know, you can be subject to a fine. You can be subject to up to 12 months imprisonment. They're going to hold SGBs with the little power that they would have left. They're proposing to hold them accountable for disclosure of financial interests, including their spouses and family members. Okay, that one is not too bad. I think that one is an accountability issue. So I don't really have that many issues on disclosure of financial interests, especially in a country where we see a lot of corruption. I think that probably is a necessity. Mm. Um yeah, they're also going to prohibit educators from conducting business with the state um, or being a director of public or private companies. That, again, I think it's kind of a governance issue. It's trying to deal with governance aspects and hopefully deter corruption. Mm. So I won't comment too much on that. Um, again, also the Bella Bill in terms of abolishing corporal punishment as well. And uh, initiation hazing practices. Mm. So we know before, I think corporal punishment has been banned for quite some time now. Yeah. But now it's also including, you know, that initiation thing where you come, your school. Uh, I don't know about what they call it. I just know the Zwana word. In Zwana, when you're a first former or something, they would call you Mosela, which means like you're the tail. Mm. And then, you know, you had to be initiated and you'd be the one who'd be sent to get every going fetch water. And, you know, they just really bully you and make you do horrible things. So that will be abolished. Um, I, I think the abolishment of initiation, hazing practices, I think that's that that is a positive thing because some children have died and others have been really emotionally traumatized in very extreme circumstances. Yeah. All right, so Reb, we've got we've, we've we've got three yeah, minutes left. Yeah. In conclusion, let's sum up mm -hmm. this session. What is it that our listeners need to take out of this session that we had this evening? What is our call to action? What's our next steps? Our call to action is first in the first instance. I say watch this space very closely. We've been monitoring the hearings. Um, I think the hearings have have been pretty well attended. So we have to keep government accountable. Watch the space. We need to make sure that we get a report back on what is the final conclusion. And we need to hear back what, you know, what, what, what was, how many submissions were made. We, we must not be happy or accept just to say, Oh no, this is what we're doing because that's what government has been doing in the past. They don't give us any mm. statistics in terms of how many submissions were received, how many said no, how many said yes. They don't give us those details. They're just very, sorry to say, use the word, but shady, very shady, very um, exclusive. They don't tell us any details. We just see them passing the bill with no information having been given. So we need to demand information. We need to demand and say, we want to know how many submissions and um, what was the, the total tally 
and we need to keep government accountable. We need to keep them accountable and um, just just keep, you know, pushing, pushing to to say no, pushing to say no. So that's the immediate next step is to just keep accountability, keep watching um, platforms like Dear SA are very useful dear south africa platform because they enable us to have an independent audit because all along government would tell us that no we only got something like 20 submissions or something like that and when we've now tallied them against the drsa platform we've been able to say that no but through drsa there were so many thousands of submissions so that's why it's important to have independent platforms which can be counted outside of the the government platforms because then we can it can help us keep government accountable and that's part of a democratic process we can't say we're a democratic nation when only one person or one department is counting the votes and nobody else knows what's going on democracy entails and involves participation by all by all by the majority. So it's not participation of a few government officials. It's participation by all, all citizens. So South Africa, let's watch the space. Keep alert. Keep vigilant. Um, let's watch and see and demand, make a demand of the government as a nation that says it's democratic, a republic, that we want to know what is the feedback. Let's make that demand. Right, Rev, I'll anyway shortly join you in Khabarone, um, Botswana. <laughs> so I'll see you shortly. But once again, just thank you for availing yourself. And I said this at the start of the program. I'm going to say it again. I pray to God that we still have a long future ahead um, and so that we can inform the Church of Christ. Uh, my people perish due to lack of knowledge. Uh, we need to inform the, the body of Christ. So thank you for your willingness, Rev. Okay, thanks, Dwayne. And a big, big hugs to our audience out there. Stay strong, South Africa. We are a beautiful nation. We've got lots to live for. Revival is coming, and let's hang on to that. Remain in prayer. Uh, remain in hope. Our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above our every hope, our every expectation, even beyond our imaginations. Love you with the love of the Lord. Let's go. Let's do this, South Africa. Genako. Woohoo! And on that note, myself and Reverend Paul Kupai greet you with the love of the Lord. And uh, please remember to stay tuned to your daily companion radio pulpit until next week, same time, same place.